It's got a lot of power. Simply says this, God's got this. And have you ever been in a circumstance where you're not quite sure how you are going to get out and how you're going to handle it, and then somehow God just gives you that assurance that he's got it? He's got everything that you need. He's, he, he's able. He's capable. He doesn't get flustered. He doesn't get, uh, uh, you know, bent out of shape. He's not sitting there wringing his hands and wondering, oh, what am I going to do? And I think perhaps he looks down on us and he just shakes his head every once in a while. But I want to help you tonight. God's got this. I can't, I know the word of God is anointed. That's that's for sure. Brother Peters, there's no doubt that anything in his word, it's going to be right no matter who says it. While the youth were singing, I spilled anointing oil all over the microphone, so the microphone's anointed. I don't know about the preacher, but we got the anointed word of God, and we got anointed microphone, and we'll see where it all hits from that. We got a new anointing oil. It smells really good, so I don't know how it all fits. But So, Brother Tim, if it starts fritzing out, it's the anointing oil's fault, not mine. But I'm glad that you're here. I'm going to let you be seated because I'm going to just go through a a chapter. It's amazing how when you begin to uh, uh, read the Word of God, it just sort of opens up. It begins to unfold, and I'm thankful for what God does. When you begin to look at the exodus that begins to happen, you, you see how God had brought the Israelites through bondage and and through ten plagues and then uh, Egypt and and Pharaoh, they're overcome with the grief of losing the firstborn and they say just go, take whatever you need and so in doing so uh, there's there's really no, no idea of exactly how many but there were most likely numbering in the millions of Israelites that begin to join a grand caravan they had all of their flocks. They had all of their, their uh, families and all of their possessions. And as they left, the Egyptians were giving them presents of gold and silver and anything valuable and garments and just saying, go, leave us, don't ever come back. And they are going and the Bible uh, begins to, to give them some instructions. But then in Exodus chapter 13... There, there's this little thing that says that that when God let the people, or when Pharaoh let the people go, this is verse 17 of Exodus chapter 13, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their mind when they see war and return to Egypt. I, I, I'm going to preach a, a very... Uh, narrative sermon. I'm going to tell the story and I'm going to let the pieces of the story fall. So you're going to have to listen very carefully. I don't have a, a, a sermon with three distinct parts and you know we go down. You're going to have to catch the, 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 the tidbits of God's word as it is inserted within the story. But can I just tell you for just a moment that nothing in the life of any one of us past, present, or future to come, nothing takes God by surprise. I have seen that in my own life. I have been a recipient of that. I have found it to be true. I've preached about it. I've sung about it. That God doesn't wake up and go, man, I didn't see that coming. 
And you need to take refuge in that. You need to understand that because nothing takes God by surprise, that when he plans and he tells you something's going to work out, regardless of the path that he leads you on, it's God's plan. I, don't, I should have got a map. I didn't get a map. But, but go, go home and, and Google the route that the Israelites took from, from Egypt to Mount Sinai. God, in his plan, had, had one stopping point. He was going to take them. They were going to stay at Mount Sinai for a while. And he was going to give them the law and the directions and how to become a great nation. And then the plan was for them to go into the promised land. And so they were headed to Mount Sinai. There at the mountain of God, God would meet with them. But if you look on a map, it looks like, and some of you won't get this if you're young, but those of you who are a bit older, at least my age or older, you've seen those family circus cartoons. You might know what I'm talking about. You know the one where the mom calls the kids to come in and it shows the dotted line of everywhere the kids went? And the path that they took to come home was far longer than what it should have taken. If you were to look at a map of of Egypt and where Mount Sinai is, there was a straight shot that would have been much, much closer and much easier. But God said, I am not going to take you in the way that you think is right. I'm not going to take you in the way that you deem should be. For my ways are higher than your ways. And my thoughts, he says, are higher than your thoughts. He says, why don't you just trust me that I know exactly what I'm doing because I'm God. He began to look, if you will. God would have spread out the map of that part of the world. And and, and if you could have seen God's plan, you would have seen that that direct route that seemed easier would have taken them by areas that were still under Egyptian control, Egyptian outposts, if you will, Egyptian uh, Egyptian century lines, and and then it would have taken them into the border of of, uh, where the Philistines were. And God knew that if he would have taken them in there to those, uh, past those Egyptian military posts, that the soldiers there would have challenged the Jews. And if he would have walked them through the Philistine borders, it would have invited an attack by the Philistines, and the children of Israel were not ready to do that. God knew what he was doing when he chose the longer path. You, you need to just... Hear me for a moment. If you will permit the Lord to direct and order your steps as the Bible commands us to do, then you need to just come to the realization that the paths that God leads you on may not be the paths you thought. And it may seem that the timeline of what's going on isn't matching the timeline that you had in your mind, but realize he sees where the path you want to go takes. And he knows what pitfalls are there. And he knows what centuries are there. And he knows what borders you might have to cross. And he says, I'm not ready for you to get into a position where you can't handle it and you would be tempted to give up and throw in the towel and so if God has to take you by the hand and lead you a more circulous route, if God has to say it may take a little longer for you to see the answer just know that God's got it all under control 
what seems to be an unexpected or maybe even an unwanted delay could very possibly be the method of your salvation so that you don't get sidetracked. It's not enough just to say, how fast can I get there? The answer is, do you arrive? What good would it take to take the shortest route if somewhere halfway through the Philistines begin to fight and they turn tail and ran back to Egypt? What would it have mattered that that path was shorter? It's amazing, and, and the longer I live, the more I, I see this to be true. I know that many of you have been in the same place. It's amazing how God chooses to close some doors that I thought were wide open and open other doors that I didn't think he would ever open. And I've just learned this. God isn't in any hurry because time doesn't exist with God. God God is not on some schedule of human terms. And so what it is is he looks at your life and he looks at my life and he knows where you're headed. And he says, tell you what, if you'll stick with me and walk the path that I have chosen, I'm going to lead you into a promised land that I promise you It might take longer than you expected. It might take a farther route than you anticipated. But God's got it. Not only that, but as those millions of Israelites begin to walk out of Egypt, there was a strange thing that happened. Perhaps, if you allow me to use my imagination, it was, it was uh, uh, Moses that said, hold on a second, I know we got to go and, and I know we're ready to leave, but i got to stop over here by this tomb, this crypt, if you will. And Moses, or whoever it was, I, I don't know that, Brother, Brother Harry, it may not have been Moses, who knows. But somebody stopped over at a crypt, and they unlocked the crypt, and there was a, over 430-year-old sarcophagus that held the bones of a man named Joseph. And if you go back to Genesis chapter 50, you will find that when Joseph was lying on his deathbed, and Joseph had some prophetic understanding, even Abraham, his great-great-great-great-grandfather, had heard heard from God, hey, you're going to go down to Egypt. You're going to be there for over 400 years in captivity. But God's got it. Long before there arose a Pharaoh that knew not Joseph or the works that Joseph did, long before any of that had happened, God knew the end from the beginning. And so Joseph lying on his deathbed Perhaps with that gravelly voice, with the death rattle that rattles there, he says, he says, listen to me, children. I don't know how long exactly we may be here. And I'm thankful for where God has brought me from. By the way, gentlemen, if you'll be here Wednesday night, we're going to go through the story of Joseph in depth. And we're going to talk about the character of a man because he shows that in an incredible way. But Joseph says, I'm thankful that God brought me out of the pit. I'm thankful God brought me through Potiphar's house. I'm thankful God brought me through the prison. And I'm thankful that God has helped me uh, as I've assisted Pharaoh. But this is not where I belong. And even though God brought me me here when I die promise me one thing no matter how many centuries it takes when y'all go to that promised land take my bones with me it didn't make a lot of sense maybe to some 
Some of them perhaps didn't even know who Joseph was. Maybe the story had gotten lost through the generations. But there was some men that opened up that crypt and they put that old dusty sarcophagus on their shoulders and they begin to walk by. Listen to me. One of the greatest things that happened when those bones of Joseph begin to walk by those millions of people is someone said, hey, it may have taken 400 years, but if God keeps his promise for a dead old man named Joseph, how much more is he going to keep his promise for me? I'm ready to see the promised land. Help me somebody. Just walk with God. Follow God. God's got it. He said, not only am I going to bring you out, but I'm going to guide you. The Bible says that there was a pillar of cloud by the day, and at night it became the pillar of fire. I know many times in our Bible it's identified with the angel of the Lord, but I could direct your attention to Exodus chapter 15 and verse 24 when it says in the morning, watch the Lord in the pillar of fire. I want you to know that pillar of smoke that they saw and that pillar of fire that was there at night, it was absolutely the presence and the power of God. God was going before them. And so he said, I'm going to lead you that pillar of fire at night to give you light. That pillar of smoke by day that you can go. And the Bible says at the end of chapter 13 that the pillar of cloud and pillar of fire did not depart from before the people. And then the Lord says, and if you have your Bibles, this is a place where it would be great for you to open your Bible, leave it on your lap so that you can walk through this chapter with me. The Lord said to Moses, I want you to tell the people to turn back and encamp in front of however you pronounce that place. Between Migdal and the sea, in front of this other place I can't pronounce. And you'll encamp facing it by the sea. Now watch what God says. Go to the next verse. Uh, who's back there? Brother Tim, go to the next verse. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, they're entangled in the land and the wilderness has shut them in. Next verse. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart that he shall follow after them. I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon his host that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And the Egyptians did so. Next verse. And it was told the king of Egypt that the people fled. And the heart of Pharaoh and his servants was turned against the people. And they said, what have we done? Why did we do this? Why, man, we must have had a momentary lapse of, 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 of brain function. We let them go. They're no longer serving us. You say, Pastor, why is this so important? I want you to catch this. Because we know, you know, we know the rest of the story. At the very least, you've seen Charles Heston in the Ten Commandments, I hope. I mean, if you don't read your Bible, at least see what Hollywood does. We know what happened. We know that they're running from the children of Israel, or from the, the children of Israel running from Egypt. We know that they came to the Red Sea. We sing the little children's songs and tell the stories. It was the Red Sea in front of them. It was Pharaoh's army behind them. We know that they complained. We know that they said, let's go back. We know that a defeatist spirit began to enter in. But watch, before any of that happened, God said, I got this. I'm amazed as I spend time reading the word of God, as I begin to look through the Bible, 
It blows my mind how many times God tells somebody exactly what's going to happen and how he's going to bless them and then in the middle of that situation they lose their ever-loving mind and they forget everything that God said and they're ready to throw in the towel and God's standing there, if I can give them human qualities, God is standing there with his hands up saying, I told you I got this. He said, look, this is what's going to happen. Pharaoh's going to come. Pharaoh's going to happen. But I will, but all of this is going to happen so that the Egyptians would know that I am the Lord. King of Egypt was told that the people fled. What am I going to do? He made ready his chariot. He took his army with him. 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots, just in case you don't do math, that means there were more than 600. There were 600 chosen chariots. That was the Navy SEALs. That was the Army Rangers of the Egyptian Army. But there was a whole lot of other chariots that were there and all of the officers over them and they pursued the children of Israel. You have to understand, I know there was a million plus people, but they had been a million plus slaves. They didn't have blacksmiths that made them swords. They weren't carrying weapons. They didn't have armor. All they had was a caravan of families. And while they may have had a lot of possession, they had no way to defend themselves against the greatest army up to that point that had ever been placed on a field of battle. Egyptians pursue them. All of Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen. Reminds me of a little nursery rhyme. All the king's horses and all the king's men are pursuing with everything they've got. And Pharaoh knows, I've got this. I'm not going to let, I should have done this a long time ago, he said. But he overtakes them who were encamped by the sea. And when they start figuring out what's happening, when the children of Israel begins to see, and, and watch what it says in verse 10. And Pharaoh drew near, and the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the, Isra- the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. See, when I read the Bible, and I study the Bible, and I, I want to I understand it. You, you've heard me say it, and I'm sure you're sick of me hearing me saying it, but the Bible is all connected. This reminds me of another story of a man named Peter who was in the middle of a storm on a boat and Jesus comes walking on the waves. And Peter in his impetuous nature says, hey, if that's really you, Jesus, bid me to come out. And Jesus says, well, come on. And old Peter throws a a leg over the gunwale of the boat and from wave to wave he's walking and he's got his eyes fixed on Jesus and everything is good. Until he gets his eyes off of Jesus and on to the situation. And his, his, his peripheral vision catches a wave. And he gets his eyes off the one who's able to save him. And he starts looking at the situation. This is exactly what happened to the children of Israel. As long as their gaze was fixed before them at that, that, that pillar of fire or that pillar of smoke. As long as they had their eyes fixed on him, they would never even knew what was coming behind them. But all of a sudden you can hear one person go, hey, 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 you see what's coming behind us. And as a, a group, if you will, at that to each man they turn around and they see the Egyptian army coming and they fear greatly 
They panicked. No longer were they walking by faith, but now they're walking by sight. No longer were they walking trusting God, but now as they look back, they're frightened and they begin to complain. It begins a, a horrendous pattern in Israel's life. As long as everything is good, I'll trust him. But give me a little trial in my life. Give me a little hiccup. Give me any type of, of circumstance or discomfort. And then I forget how to trust. I think perhaps that might be a little bit of my problem and your problem. It's easy to trust him when it's going well. It's easy to trust him when, when he, he, he brings you out of Egypt and they're throwing jewels at you and they're throwing uh, money at you and they're saying, man, just leave. It's easy to trust God like that. It's harder to trust God when you get a bad diagnosis. It's harder to trust God when the wealth that you thought you had is no longer present. It's harder to trust God when family is beginning to fracture. It's harder to trust God when you look behind and you see the enemy approaching. And it's... I guess we probably are a little bit, we, uh, it's easy for us to go bash on the Egyptians. I mean, the, the Israelites. It's easy for us to say, you, you should have just kept your eyes on the cloud. You, you shouldn't have worried about that. Uh, we can play armchair quarterback all we want, but really what we need to do is examine our own lives and how we react in those same situations. God, you've forsaken me. God, you've left me alone. What am I going to do? In fact, they're crying to Moses, were there no graves in Egypt that you take us to die in the wilderness? What have you done? This is, this is not what you said. Why don't you just leave us alone? We'll go back. We'll give up. We'll fly the white flag and serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to be slaves than to die in the wilderness. And Moses looks at them, and there's, there's two statements that Moses makes. Moses says, fear not, stand firm, see the salvation of the Lord. Now before I get to these two statements that jumped out at me, I've read it, not, but I had to, had to go and write it in my Bible so that I wouldn't ever forget it. But, but, but listen to me very carefully. When you forget the promises of God, in fact, let me, let me make this very personal. How many of you whether it's a promise in God's word, whether it's a promise that's come through prayer, whether it's a promise that's come through a, a, a word that, that God has given you. How many of you have heard the promise of God for something in your life? Okay. Correct me if I'm wrong. But it seems that when we forget God's promise, we begin to imagine every Per worst possible circumstance. To the children of Israel, they had just watched God ten plagues. These were not little bitty plagues. I don't know exactly the geographical scope of Egypt at that time, but it was a pretty big place. I mean, you can only imagine how big Egypt was that when the slaves left millions plus, some people say up to three million people, you can imagine that three million slaves, there had to be even more Egyptians. It was a big place. 
It rained hail. It, it flies covered it. All of the water turned to blood. There was there was uh, 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 boils that erupted. There was lice that began to happen. Frogs hopped everywhere like you couldn't imagine. And then at the end of all that, God killed the firstborn of those that didn't put the blood on the door. And you would think that they would say, God's got this. Everything's under control. But the moment they lost sight of God's promise, their mind begins to worry about every possible scenario. I'm going to die here in the wilderness. Not we might have to go back to slavery. I'm going to die right here in the wilderness. My children are going to die. I don't know what I'm going to do. I, I told you, Moses, just leave us alone. I, I don't know why you're trying to, your, your ego is so big. You're always constantly trying to fight Pharaoh. Unbelief has a way of erasing from our memory all of the previous demonstrations of God's power. Let me say that again just in case you didn't get it. It's amazing how when you have that moment of unbelief and that moment of doubt and you get your eyes off the one who promised you what he was going to do, it's amazing how that unbelief erases all of the things he's done for you up till that time. Suddenly, God's never done anything for you. There, they begin to... And Moses looks them in the eye and he says, listen to me, children of Israel, fear not. Brandon Buford's translation of the the Hebrew words fear not is simply this, God's got it. I don't know what you're all concerned about. I don't know what you're all in in a tizzy about. God's got it. Stand still. They were ready to turn tail and run. They didn't know what to do. They, 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 they couldn't go forward. There was a Red Sea in front of them. And they were willing to even go backwards to where the, the, the Egyptian army is. And he said, just stop. Stand still. He says, see the salvation of the Lord. He'll work for you today. For the Egyptians who you're looking at, you will never see them again. For the Lord will fight for you. And you only have to be Silent. There were two things that Moses said to them. He said, he said, stand still and be still. Two different, two different words or, or, or understandings. One is just stop. I don't know, I'm not suggesting that you do this, Brother Miller, but have you ever just wanted, you know, somebody's just losing it and you just want to shake them and just say, stop? That was God's way of shaking them. Stop. Calm down. I got it. And then he said, be still. Quit freaking out. Quit letting your emotions get the best of you. Quit letting all the scenarios run through your mind. Be still. And then a commandment that just makes no sense until you understand the rest of the story. Go to that next verse, Brother Tim. Verse 15. And Moses said, or, and the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest unto me, speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward. You will never go wrong moving toward the promise that God has given you regardless of whether or not you can understand how it's going to come about. 
Because see, in my mind, that, that, and I know it's a vast number of people, millions of people, but in my mind, I see this huddled group of people, and, and they've already started to turn around, and like lemmings going over the cliff, they're already walking back to Egypt, even though Egypt is going to destroy them. They're already being sucked into defeat. They're already being sucked into uh, uh, this, this attitude of we're never going to make it. And first off, he says, stop and stand still. And then he says, be still. And then he says, turn around and move to where I have sent you. He said, Moses, you're going to lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea. You're going to divide it. And the people of Israel are going to go across the sea on dry ground. And I'll harden the hearts of the Egyptians. They'll go in after you. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all of his hosts and his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord and that I have gotten glory over him. And the angel of the Lord this is, this is just another way of saying God himself. And, and, and God, who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was a cloud in darkness, and it lit up the night without the one coming near the other all night. What it means is that when God got b- between them and the problem... He gave the Israelites light and he gave the Egyptians darkness. The Egyptians, they had to stop. They couldn't see. He was confusing and confounding the plans that the Egyptians had and Pharaoh had planned. But he was allowing there to be illumination into what God was about to do in the children of Israel. Sometimes it seems that God has left you. Sometimes it seems that he's no longer in front of you and and you wonder, what am I going to do? I'll tell you what he's doing. He says, you just keep going forward, but let me stand behind you and get between you and the thing that's coming after. Let me get between you and the Egyptian army behind you. I'm going to confuse and muddle their plans, but all the way I'm going to give you light because you're about to see the alt waters. Moses stretched his hand over the sea. The Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land and the waters were divided. And they went through the midst of the sea on dry ground, the the water being a wall on their right and on their left. And they get on the other side. And, And God lifts that cloud. And the Egyptian sees what's going and they begin to run with everything that they have. They're, they're consumed, if you will, by their desire to attack. And, and they're consumed by the embarrassment of losing these slaves. And they're not paying attention to, to what may happen. The God that opened the waters is the same God that can close them. God waits, allows that army to get completely in that path. And then he brings the waters down on them. They're in a panic. Their chariot wheels begin to clog up. They were driving heavily. They were slower and slower. They were trying. And then the waters come on the Egyptians, upon the chariots, upon the horsemen, so that they could see that God's got it. I think I'm preaching to somebody here. I I may not know exactly what your circumstance is. I I may not know exactly how everything fits in your life. Maybe I'm not privy to it at the moment, but I think I'm talking to someone that's been facing an Egyptian army that's running up against you, and your faith has turned into fear. And you're wondering, what am I going to do? I've got about 
seven verses or, or, or portions of verses that I want to read to you. And each one of these, they don't say it, but they would translate in Buford's translation to God's God. Genesis chapter 26. The Lord appeared unto Abraham that same night and said, I'm the God of, or, or not, not Abraham, uh, to, to Isaac. I'm the God of Abraham, thy father, fear not, for I am with thee. And I will bless thee and I will multiply thy seed for thy servant Abraham's sake. Fear not, for God is with you. If nothing, if, if I don't read any other verse, that ought to be enough just to give you hope. God's with you and God's got it. Our first Kings chapter 15. I'm sorry, first Kings chapter 17, 13, verses 13 through 15. When Elijah looked at the widow who had nothing and he said, fear not, go and do as I've said. Make that little cake, bring it to me and then make it for you and your son. I know you don't think you have enough, but you will. For the bar barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of oil fail until the Lord, the day the Lord sends rain upon the earth. Fear not, for God supplieth all your needs. Or the story of Elisha and his servant bottled up in that city when the servant looked and all he could see was the chariots and the horsemen of the enemy coming. But man of God told his servant, he said, Fear not, for they that are with us are more than they be with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the man and he saw, Behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. Fear not, God's protected. He's got it. Or fear not, for he is your strength. It's what he said in Isaiah chapter 41 and verse 10. Fear not, for I am with thee. Don't be dismayed, for I am God. I will strengthen thee. I will help thee. I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. I'm with you. Or Isaiah 43 says, Fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I've called thee by thy name. Thou art mine. When you passeth through the waters, when you pass through the flood, I'll be with you. And the waters will not overthrow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. Neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. For I am the Lord thy God. Fear not. He's got you even in your trials. Or Matthew chapter 10 and verse 29 are not two sparrows sold for a farthing and one shall not fall upon the ground but without your father. And the very head hairs of your head are all numbered but fear ye not. You're more valuable than the sparrows. Fear not because he cares for you. In Revelation chapter 1 and verse 17 Jesus looked at John who was seeing this incredible vision and he made this statement. He said, fear not. I'm the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I'm alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and hell. Fear not. Because God's got your future in the palm of his hand. Would you stand with me today? I, I, I preach to you the... The principle, I've preached to you the, uh, the, the word of God. And what you have to do with that, what you have to accept, you have to accept the word and then place that, or rather place your life into his word. 
And he's here today to tell you one simple message. God's got it.